Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you want to help someone who's struggling but have absolutely no idea what to say or do? We've all been there. Welcome to Profiles in Comfort, where incredible everyday people who are living through really difficult times share their stories of how those around them use the skill of comfort to help them through the valley, showing us the way to break through our own awkward zone to help those who desperately need to know we care. Welcome to Profiles in Comfort. I'm Jen Marr, and today we're talking to Matthew Henry about depression on college campuses. A recent study from Boston University showed that 80% of students on college campuses are struggling with their mental health. Matthew is in that 80%. Growing up in Australia as an Indian American, he felt less than all of his classmates. He learned to manage his depression through playing sports. He found that being part of a team helped him to feel equal to everyone. Race didn't matter. Then in middle school, everything changed again when his family moved to the United States. Once again, feelings of being less than resurfaced. And once again, he managed his way through his depression by playing sports. However, before heading to college, he fell into a bad place where he felt no value to his family, his friends, his community. Searching to find peace, he wrote a suicide note. One phone call made all of the difference in Matthew's life perfectly timed by a friend who cared. Because of that friend, Matthew is weeks away from graduating from Georgetown University with his MBA. He's given a TED Talk, published two books, and is writing his third. He's become a champion in helping others and is known to say, I urge you to reach out to someone who's going through a tough time. By reaching out, you could be saving a life the way someone saved mine. I know Matthew's words will inspire you as much as they have me. Welcome, Matthew Henry. Hello. Thank you for having me on. It's so great to have you on. And Matthew, your story is going to be so great today um, for so many struggling on college campuses. You might have heard of this study that came out from Boston University that 80% of college students this past year during the pandemic talked about struggling with mental health. And I know that you have a lot to say about that today, right? Yes, definitely. Excellent. So we're going to go way back. Um, You were actually raised in Australia. And Matthew, you've talked about so many times understanding that you had something like depression, but it really wasn't called that. Nobody really knew what it was back then. Um, But you were struggling. You were struggling for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, And take us back to that point when nobody knew what depression was. People didn't know how to look for it. What was it like? Yeah, well, I was I was a child, you know, back in Australia, and I was the only non-white student in, in my my class. And you know, I know like I felt different, but it, it was okay. You know, you just go through the punches, and you know, I just felt different in that. You know, people looked at me differently. The teachers sometimes called me the N word and some racial slurs, um, but I thought it was normal because that was you know the way I was raised. And you know, you just. Uh, don't make excuses and you just do your best as a student. But, you know, it was a reality that I accepted. And I think in my later adult years and even in my college years, those memories kind of resurfaced. Yeah. And I remember you telling me you really felt kind of less than um, the other students. And that had to be so difficult. And one of the ways you fought through this and you found your resilience was through sports And I think this is just incredibly 
brave and courageous of you and give such a great example of how one taking the initiative um, to really lay out a path for yourself has done amazing things for your life. Talk about that and the sports and what you learned through that. Well, well, thank you for saying those words. Those words are so kind and I really appreciate that. Um, You know, when I started playing sports in around sixth grade, um, the people who kind of looked down on me and used to call me names suddenly respected me because I could contribute to the rugby team. And I've just realized that, oh, wow, like if I'm part of a team, if I can contribute to this team, they don't care what race I am. They just care if I score a try or a touchdown. But that's my, that was my first opening into what equality can look like. And then after that, other people who weren't white were also on the team. Because just to make the rugby team, you had to go through tryouts. And usually the people who weren't white didn't even have a shot. Now more and more people who weren't white were making it. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And we started getting better as a result of that. And so just seeing that progression, I, I think I kind of had that mindset when I, when I moved to America was that, okay, I got to play some sports if I want equality. <laughs> you know, so, but that, 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 was, that was a beautiful moment. Oh my goodness. I, and I loved how you, when you talk about sport, you're like, if we're on a team, all of a sudden everything else fades away because we have a common goal. And so then you teed us up with the next question, which is, I I just want people to understand. And I know you're going to share how difficult moving is. I think it's one of the most overlooked areas of struggles right now when people have to move and what you go through. Now, you were in middle school, a very difficult age. You're not only moving from Australia, where you have just managed to break through um, the struggles and we're just finding your way. Now you're uprooted. You're moving to a country you don't know um, to start all over in middle school. Tell us about that. Yeah, when I, you know, I remember just like entering my first lunch table and sitting with these kids, and I was looking around, so I had no social skills back then, and I was like, what do we talk about? Do we talk about the movies? I haven't seen a movie in months. Like, it, it just felt so isolated. So on top of the, the social anxiety, there was also the academic anxiety, and I was like, how do we study for tests? What are the, like, why are we taking all of these classes? And everyone was just so advanced and just clicking on all cylinders. I just felt like I feel left behind academically and socially. And, you know, I was always afraid that, you know, I used to watch these American movies back in high school of kids being thrown in lockers. And I was thinking it's only a matter of time before that happens. They're going to throw me in a locker or a trash can. And, but it never happened, thankfully, but that fear was always there. And again, I was looking for any sport to join, but there was no sports in middle school. And so I was like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to fit in, but I'm just going to, I'm going to do my best. Luckily the kids weren't the kids weren't bad, but I think just that feeling, that anxiety of what if this happens, I think kind of robbed me of some joy while I was in middle school. Well, yeah, I remember you saying that you still struggled with these feelings of feeling less than. Again, you struggled with finding your place. Um, I can imagine, like, how many colleges in America did you even know about down in Australia? <laughs> I, I only knew about Harvard and Yale. That's it. I had no idea about Georgetown or any of these. Like, I had no idea. 
learning curve you had to go through. It was extraordinary. Um, Academically, socially, all these things. And, you know, it gets to the point in your story where it all becomes really real. And this story gave me the chills. And, you know, I just want to say that this is a a sad story, Um, trigger warning for anyone that wants to know that, but you got to a point where you really didn't feel accepted and really belonging anywhere. And you actually wrote a suicide note. Um, And an amazing thing happened that is going to weave through the rest of your story today. Share with us, Matthew, that moment and what happened and how did you make it out of that? Well, for me, I remember writing that note and it was kind of free to write that note because I'm like, all right, I'm going to end any anxiety, any kind of depression. It's finally coming to an end. And there are a lot of variables that contribute to that. You know, and also I, at that time, I didn't have an academic institution to kind of brand off of. I had no identity. No one knew I really existed. I felt off the grid, so to speak. And I was like, I am not contributing to anything. I don't feel like I'm worth anything. You know, as it is, I'm less than. So like, what kind of value am I going to bring to anybody? You know, I don't know what I'm going to look like in a dating scene or if I want to get married. So there were all of these questions. And I was like, you know what? I could just solve all of those questions by just ending it. No more anxiety, no more questions. I, to me, it's like searching for peace. And the one thing that stopped me was my phone. Well, a phone call. And that was, uh, uh, I'd be happy to get into that. And that was, you know, I got a call from my friend Johnny. And uh, that really, I don't think he knows to this day how much that phone call meant to me. Well, I think that phone call saved your life. Um, Matthew, talk about why did he reach out and what resulted from that reach out? Yeah, you know, he was one of the last people I thought would ever call me because the way that we met and like, you know, he was dating a friend of mine. You know, the odds of us even being friends was kind of uh, astronomical. And the fact that he called and for something completely unrelated, he was like, hey, like, Hope we, you know, we can still chill, you know, because we're in different social circles now. And like, hope you still like hang out. You know, if you come to Virginia, I was living in Richmond back then. If you come to uh, Northern Virginia again, I'll love to throw you a party. I was like, oh, sure. You know, I'm, I'm cool with that. And he did. He threw me a party and, uh, you know, it, it was fun. I met so many of my close friends then. And that's not the first time he threw me a party. So he was persistent in that, in that way. And. It just goes to show that like something so random came at the perfect moment and something from a random person is now like still a brother to me. And you know, it, it's, it's really remarkable how a phone call can have. Wow. You could literally be saving someone's life by just by calling someone. And I believe then you shared with me how that get together actually helped you form a whole new group of friends that are friends with you to this day. Yeah, yeah. In fact, one of those friends, before I give the TED talk, I was talking to one of those friends and she was encouraging me, don't feel nervous. You're gonna you're gonna kill it. I love you no matter what. You got this. We're testing back and forth and it was just her just sending me positivity. 
And it was because of that that when I got on stage, I felt confident, I felt calm. And you know, till this day, I still give her thanks for all of that encouragement because I was not the I was not a public speaker by any means. And then after the TED Talk, that kind of you know set me on this new path. And it's it's because of people. That that's really because not only because of a team, but because of people just reaching out and wanting to help. That's what's really got me to the position position I am today. That's amazing. And I know you you jumped ahead to the TED Talk, so everyone knows like how far <laughs> you've come. <laughs> but anyway, after this, you did end up really focusing more on people and relationships and finding that path. And you know, it's why that that one phone call from Johnny, thank you, Johnny, um, set you on this path of new friendships and courage, and you found your way to Georgetown. And now you're at Georgetown, you're, stu- you're studying for your MBA, congratulations. And you have found your path in this. And I think what's so great about your story is now that you are seeking your MBA, you've, you've been on campus for, for years now, and you've seen a lot of what campus life is like. Um, you are a self-described selfie enthusiast. And I, I love this. I love this little strategy. Um, talk about being a selfie enthusiast and how that helps you manage um, your depression on campus. Yeah, it was something sort of accidental that I used to do a lot in parties. But what I realized is, you know, when people are going out, they're usually dressed to the nines. And, you know, by taking a picture, everyone is smiling. And when everyone's smiling, I want to smile too. And it was also a nice way to kind of bond with someone I don't really know. Like, hey, let's take a picture together. Suddenly we become close. We start a conversation. So I noticed that it was a way to kind of camouflage any feelings of depression or any kind of sadness. Because in that moment, we're smiling. We're having a good time. And the more pictures I took, the more we're smiling. The more we're smiling, the, the more fun we're having. And it just became infectious. and. You know, that's why I love to <laughs> take selfies. I haven't done that in over a year, though. But uh, it's just something that something so small, but did bring joy in that moment. And it's nice to reflect and, and capture that that one moment. Well, start those selfies again. Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so being on campus all these years, you've really been able to watch campus life, right? What are you taking away from campus life right now on colleges? And, you know, as we said earlier, if 80% of people are struggling with their mental health, why is that? Like, what, what are you seeing? Again, I'm so glad that you're asking that question because, you know, the feedback that I've gotten, you know, especially with my college had a counseling uh, center, but no one feels comfortable with going to a counseling center because, one, you don't know who the who they're sharing the information with, and and two, you don't know like what they're gonna describe you as or brand you as, especially to the administration. Like, what if they see you as like a threat or you know, a disability? Like, no one wants that drama. As it is, especially in school at Georgetown, it's pretty stressful. The last thing you want is to be branded as something. So. You know, my friends and I were like, we're not never going to go to this office. We don't trust them. We can talk about it with each other. We trust each other because we're not going to have an impact on our professional careers. But in terms of any counseling, no, there, there was no way. 
And I think that's why students are suffering because there's no professional outlet. We're just talking with each other. Yeah, so there's there's a stigma, which I think the stigma is getting better. Um, and there's a lot of people that do really need to seek professional counseling. However, what you brought up as well is just this critical point of everybody needing to know how to be there for each other, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a lot of power in just with your friends just to listen to them, mm-hmm. right? Because you, you, you've under, you understand them and just, just to hear some of their stories, it's really remarkable of what they've gone through as well. Yeah, and it leads to this next question because Matthew, you've said yourself through this journey, you've really learned how you help yourself by helping others. (laughs) And I love how you've learned to do this. And because as you know, with the skill of comfort, that's what we talk about is when you help others, you actually help yourself. And so your your stories so embody this. Um, But you have a special story about having gone through what you went through yourself, your eyes were a little more open to people struggling. Um, share, share a story of, of one time helping someone. Yeah, I think for me, you know, ever since I spoke about depression, I have a few friends of mine who I think were the least, who I thought were the least depressed, reach out to me personally and say, hey, I'm so glad you talked about it. You know, I've been feeling the same way too. And that to me meant the world to me, but also shocked me because I, I've, I know their resume. I've seen their resume. They, I'm like, you should be happy. I mean, this is, look at all the stuff you've accomplished in your life and you're like 22. This is amazing. But, you know, in hearing their stories, I begin to understand why. And just listening to them too, you know, I'm not there to give advice or tell them how to live their lives. It's just being there as a friend to, to listen. And if they call it, three o'clock in the morning, just be there. Yeah. And, you know, no one should suffer alone like this. And that's the thing, right? Like it's not okay for people to be hurting so badly and afraid to open up when everyone really does care. And one of the things you did, I think is a great example is you actually, I remember a story about hiking. Tell us about that. Yeah. yeah, you know, um, I had a friend of mine, another friend of mine who I knew was depressed and was going through things in, in their lives, but I didn't want to bring it up. But I knew they had to, they wanted to vent out. You, you can kind of sense that sometimes. Um, they love to hike. I don't like to hike. I could go the rest of my life without hiking, but it, it's fine. You know, I was like, hey, do you want to go hiking? And they're like, yeah, I'd love to. I never thought you would want to go, but let's go. And, you know, so we went and I didn't want to force them into saying anything. I was like, let's just go on a hike. Let's just enjoy our time together. And let's just enjoy the scenery and enjoy whatever these hikers love to do. And so we did that around three or four times. I believe it was around the fourth time that this person began to open up about their feelings, about their fears in the world, fears that, and insecurities that they have within themselves. And I didn't ask for it. I didn't say, what are you insecure about? They just opened up and, you know, we're overlooking, I think there was like a waterfall and we we're just kind of like, it was like the perfect moment. And I just sat back and listened and it took patience. Right. And I think that that's the key thing I took away is just, you know, if something's, if someone is going through something like that, 
be patient with them. Let them open up on their own time. And it may not take four times. It might take eight times. It might take 18 times. Like however many times it, it might take, just, just be there for them. I know that you said, um, which I think is so critical for people to remember that when you're struggling with depression, you want to be heard. You want to talk, but you feel like you might be a burden to someone. So what you said about having, taking that time is so critical. And so the que- the follow-up question I want to have is what stops people in our, in our learning moment today <laughs> For all these years that you've been through this, what what are things that are happening out there in our human care behaviors on campus that are stopping people from opening up? Yeah, you know, um, I think college students in particular were faced with a lot of pressures. You know, first there's a the pressure of just getting in into a college, right? Applying to all these colleges and finding that dream school. And then you have to survive and thrive. Right. Because there's all of these extracurricular activities you want to do. There's a pressure to not only make friends, but to have some sort of status and a job lined up. So when you're dealing with all of juggling all of these stresses and you want to talk to people, it's kind of tough because you think that, well, sometimes I used to think that, you know, they're doing well. If I open up, they're going to see me as a weak or again, going back to feeling less than. And I, I don't want to do that. And I don't want to, worst of all, be a burden to someone else when they have their own life's issues and they have their own responsibilities. The last thing they need is to hear <laughs> some brown guy talk about his feelings. Like, I, I didn't want to do that. But at the same time, people need to hear and people need to open up about how they feel because you know, it's just, it's just going to be, taken from me, like it's just going to be worse in the long run, right? Mm-hmm. And the worst thing is you don't want... I don't want college students to feel like this when they enter adulthood, you know, or, or when they have a family, right? Um, you know, life is tough and people have diverse set of problems. Not, not everyone has the same set of problems, but if we listen to each other and, and try to do this together, that is a lot easier than doing it alone. Yeah. You know, you touched on listening. Talk about how good people are on campus listening to each other. I think for me at, at a place like Georgetown, it's nice that I was surrounded by people who like to listen because in the classes, it's almost as if you're, you're forced to listen. You have to listen to this professor go on for like three hours, but in a way in being able to listen, especially in, with the people at Georgetown, they, they were so responsive. And I was shocked that when I spoke about it publicly for the first time, that a lot of people that I'd never knew came up to me after the talk and said, I loved your story. And I was like, wow, I'm not used to this. I'm so glad that I opened up, right? Because there's still vulnerability. There's still that feeling of what if I open up and people don't respond well? What if they're like, oh, you're making excuses. You're the, playing the victim. You know, there's a lot of insecurities that I have of just opening up about this. But it's 100% worth it because if that one person feels like they're also being heard, that's all that matters. That's all that matters to me, at least in that, you know, I don't want people who to feel how I used to feel where there was no outlet. Right. If back then when I was 18, 19 saying I have depression, no one knew what to do. Yeah. Right. But at no. least now Absolutely. people have that. So tell us 
someone that did it absolutely the right way. Um, we like to call this moment our comfort shout out. So if you have one comfort shout out that you'd like to thank for someone that got it right, who's that today, Matthew? You know, today was the perfect day because I'd like to shout out Emma Ernest. We're working on a podcast together, but she did something actually this morning. Uh, she knows that I'm about to graduate in about a month. And she texted me early this morning, hey, you got one more month. You almost got like, you're almost done. You got this. And that to me meant a lot because to, the fact that someone knows I'm about to graduate in a month, just knowing that timeline, I think is really cool, Right. She didn't just say, have a nice day. She was specific. She said, hey, you got this. Like, don't worry. Like, your hard work is paying off. And that's why I want to give her the shout out because just a simple morning text message can kind of like, not only make my day, but it's kind of like some energy, some momentum to carry on as I finish my academic career. So I really appreciate that morning message. Oh, well, thank you, Emma. And it's such a great reminder. Something so simple can make a day and and can really add such joy and purpose to um to the day uh, and also on that we we have to shout out johnny um back in high school that made that phone call um really really great things that people are doing and so you know this has been quite a journey for you matthew and you really I mean, you're just doing amazingly well. You're about to graduate Georgetown. You've written two books, which we want to talk about in a second. You gave a TED Talk. Um, but you've really, really done it the hard way. You've you've struggled with depression. You wrote a suicide note. And you, re- you were so resilient through it. How has this changed you? How are you different today because of going through all of this? Well, first, thank you again for saying those amazing words. That that really does touch my heart. I would say that for me, it just opened my eyes in that people are going through similar to what I went through. And they're like, I'm not alone and they're not alone. And that's why I definitely want to, you know, circle back to just being a powerful listener, right? You know, in, in this world, especially, uh, there's this proclivity to to give it, whether it's to give advice, to share your opinion on what's happening politically, you know, if we listen more, I, I think this is just as powerful, if not more. Um, it, yeah, it's really sad that people suffer, but we can do our part and, and ensure that not only are you not alone, but you can also come out of it and make a massive difference in this world. <laughs> right? If I could go back to eighteen-year-old self or even twelve-year-old self and say. You're going to accomplish amazing things, right? This is not. This is only the beginning. Don't worry. This is just an obstacle. Persevere. Never quit. And in doing so, you will be on the right side of life. That's beautiful. So many takeaways there, Matthew. You know, really about the listening and reaching out to people is such a key part of your resilience, I think. And and then learning that that is what just gives you such purpose and joy when you have those deeper relationships. And your story is really amazing. And thank you again. And just keep fighting this and keep helping kids on campus um, 
a lot are struggling today. And I think this talk is really going to help them because sometimes you just need to know I'm not alone, like you're learning. Um, So in the meantime, you've written two books, you're writing your third, which is just amazing. Um, What are the names of your books and where can we find them? Yep. Um, My first book was called Working Together, Why We Need a Bipartisanship in American Politics. And my second book was on dating yourself, finding self-love before true love. Both of them are available on Amazon. Uh, Definitely go check it out. Amazing. Matthew, thank you so much. We're going to stay in touch. And um, again, congratulations on all you're doing. And um, keep us posted on all of your successes. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you for having me me on and God bless. Thank you. Thank you. What I so admire about Matthew is his vulnerability and bravery in telling these stories. He's leading the way for so many other voices that need to be heard. He's shown that in helping others, he helps himself and how you too can have the opportunity to make a huge difference in the lives of others, maybe even saving a life. Thank you, Matthew, for your incredible story and congratulations on your upcoming graduation. You have inspired us all. If you'd like to learn more about the skill of comfort, please visit us at inspiringcomfort.com or email me at jen at inspiringcomfort.com. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining us in episode five. We look forward to seeing you next time. In the meantime, comfort on my friends. Bye-bye.